0: book of John chapter 7, we'll begin to read in verse number 37. This morning I will speak to you on this subject, death by religion. Death by religion. John chapter 7, we'll begin to read in verse number 37. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in John chapter 7, beginning to read in verse 37. The Bible says these words, on the last day that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many... "...from the crowd when they heard this saying said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not Scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now when some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the, of the Pharisees or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus he who came to Jesus by not being one of them said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And they answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you're, Holy Spirit would speak to us and challenge us today. God, I pray if there is someone here who's never been saved really from their sin. God, they've grown up around the gospel. They've grown up around church. God, they have sat through hundreds of invitations. They have heard just as I am sung and played hundreds of times. They've been in and out of church their entire life, but there's never really been a moment that they've turned and trusted Christ. God, I'll help Hope you'll help them to see today through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. God, that they're, they're steeped in religion. They're going to die in religion one day and go to hell for all eternity if they don't experience a saving relationship with you through Jesus Christ. God, I pray for our church today. I pray for those, God, who have unconfessed sin in their lives, uh, things that they've allowed Satan to establish they have now become more than just a one-time occurrence. It's become a habit. God, I pray that they'll step away from cultural perspectives and cultural norms, and their life will be once again shaped and grounded in your word. And they'll leave today, Lord, with a fresh commitment to follow Jesus Christ. God, we just simply pray as we come to a time of invitation, whatever it is you're inviting men and women to do in this place today, God, I pray that it will be done. And we'll give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you again to be seated. You know, religion in its simplest form is simply uh, man seeking God by man's assumptions, by man's thoughts, and man's rules. You, You look at any kind of religion, I don't care what it is, and it's man seeking a higher power, either God himself or some other deity that they've concocted in their mind, but it's always by their assumptions, by their thoughts, and by their rules. But Christianity is completely different. It's not about man seeking God. It's about God seeking man. That Christ came to seek and to save, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that which is lost. And and God does that through his Son, through his Spirit, and through his Scriptures. All three of those are involved, but God is seeking out man. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4, the Apostle Paul says it's God's will that all people be saved. God doesn't want one single person to go to hell. He has done everything short of violating men's free will to see that they are saved. He loved this world, John 3.16, so much that he sent his only son, his perfect son, to die on the old rugged cross. That whoever would believe in him, that is, surrender their life to his lordship, would not perish but have everlasting life. It's His will. He wants all people to be saved. But yet our Lord, in Matthew chapter 7, and verse number 14 says, begin reading verse 13, says this, Enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. It's God's will that all people be saved, but yet God in His omniscience knows that few will be saved. And religion is one of Satan's greatest tools to make sure that people die and they go to hell. So even though it's God's desire for all people to be saved, the reality is that the majority of most people will not be. In verses 11 through 31 of John chapter 7, it's verses that we'll look at on the Sunday night or a Wednesday here in the near future. Uh, Christ has now gone up um, to the Feast of Tabernacles. God has led him now to go. His brothers have gone up. He was not going, but now now he is. And he has hidden himself. He has masked himself as it were. People don't see exactly... Who it is? They don't know that it's Jesus, and Jesus begins to dialogue with these people about who he is. The the crowd's still talking about him. It's been six months since he fed the five thousand. He's been ministering in Galilee, and now he goes up to Jerusalem, and people are still talking about him. And he begins to speak about his doctrine and where it comes from, of uh, his will, and what it is that God has sent him to do really what the Sabbath was all about and what it wasn't. And really it came down to the people, the Pharisees, twisted the law to make it to benefit them and to hurt others. But the Bible says in verse number 37 of our text this morning that it's the last day of that great feast. It's, there's, and there was a climactic uh, conclusion. You need to see this this morning to the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember that the Feast of Tabernacles was a week-long celebration to commemorate how God had led the nation of Israel through the wilderness and how they dwelt in booths that he had sheltered them from all of the hardship and the challenges. It was really kind of a harvest celebration of sorts. It was you know kind of like a uh, not to, to put our uh, worldly stamp on it, but something to equate it. It was almost like a fall festival of nature, but it was to commemorate all that God had done and God's faithfulness and that the harvest they had was through and by His providing hand. But on the last day of the feast, something amazing would happen. Uh, The high priest would go to the pool of Siloam and he would dip out a pitcher of water. And then he would begin to return back to the temple and the crowd would shout and they would sing as he would begin to walk, holding this pitcher of water. And it's the last concluding moment of the feast. He would pour out this pitcher of water by the... Uh, altar there, and all the people would begin to sing and to shout, and they would begin to quote Isaiah chapter 12 and verse number 3. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, and in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 11, that all of the Old Testament feasts and sacrifices, don't miss this, were shadows of good things to come they were shadows of christ they were really just illustrations of what jesus christ would do for a lost and a dying world colossians chapter 2 in verses 16 through 17 the apostle paul speaking to christians in Colossae who were troubled by gnostics these spiritualists who were trying to impose upon them their thoughts their ideas and their religion Paul said this in uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, listen. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Now listen to what he says in verse 17. Which are a shadow of things to come. But listen, but the substance is of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is this. The shadow that all of those Old Testament feasts and all of those Old Testament uh, sacrifices cast that what really cast the shadow was Jesus Christ. He was the substance of which the light shined against that cast that long shadow of good things to come. And he was that good thing to come. And and so it was then that as the high priest poured out that water by the, by the altar and everybody began to shout and to quote Isaiah chapter 12 and verse number 3, Jesus stood up, verse number 37, look at your Bibles, John chapter 7, on that last day, that great day, the climactic conclusion, Jesus stood and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. They see the water being poured out on the ground. They're they're quoting that verse of of dipping into the fountain for for salvation. And Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Listen, the the pitcher could only hold so much water. And when the pitcher was poured out, there was no more water. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are dehydrated spiritually. He says, and I'll give you water to drink, that out of you will flow living waters. It never runs dry. And so that was Christ's invitation to a religious group of people Who during those 400 years, the intertestamental period, during that 400 years, the Pharisees and Sadducees had so crafted now, had so crafted the law and twisted it, add all these do's and don'ts to it, to where Christ would never be able to live up to what their expectations were because they never wanted him to. They wanted to continue to run the show. And so they had a religion based upon their thoughts, their assumptions. And their rules, and Jesus speaks to that religion, and He says, Come to me. It's it's His invitation. He invited them to come. And so He was was living water that would absolutely never run dry. And so many people heard Jesus' invitation that day. All stood spiritually dehydrated, all stood in need of what only He could give. But don't you listen to me, how sad all left exactly the way they came. They all stood there dehydrated. They needed His touch on their life, but they all left exactly the way they came. And chapter 8, verse 1 says this, Jesus left also. And so, friend, I want you to hear me this morning. Religion will do one thing. It damns your soul to hell for an eternity. Death by religion. But a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, will give you life and life more abundantly. Life and life more abundantly. These verses are a sad reminder of what religion brings about in people. Three things I want you to notice more. Number one, it brings about confusion. Religion always brings about confusion. Look at verse number 32 of John chapter 7. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him—that's Jesus. There's, there's all this talk. Is this him? Is it not him? Um, you know, I believe on him, but when Christ comes, I'll really believe on him. So they didn't even really see him as Christ. They knew he had some kind of power and some kind of touch. Verse thirty-one. But so they believed on him, but they didn't believe on him. And so there was, there was all of this, all of this confusion. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring all of these things. Concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. They, they wanted whoever this was, whether they fully saw him now or they didn't, they wanted him out of the way because, listen, the focus wasn't on them anymore, it was on Jesus. And that's what religion's always about. It's never about pointing people to Christ, it's always about pointing people to the leader or whoever the controlling crowd is in the group. You say, well, that man, that never happened in a church here in the South. Are you kidding me? You get some controlling person, again, a boss hog or a boss sow or some controlling family, and you let the church start experiencing revival, which is turning people to Christ in a surrendered relationship to Him, where all the focus is now on Jesus and not on them. Friend, I'm telling you, you've got a war in that church. You've got a war because now it's not about religion, it's about a relationship with Christ. And so Jesus said then, verse 33, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and cannot find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And so he just began, I mean, to speak truth into the situation. And then the Jews said amongst themselves, well, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the, to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks that it's those ten northern tribes that were scattered when Assyria took over in 722 B.C.? I guess he's going to go to them. See, friends, they only saw earthly things. It was about their earthly kingdom. That's all they were focused on was protecting their earthly kingdom. Verse 36, well, what is this thing he says? You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. First Corinthians 2.14, again, the natural man, the person that's never been saved, cannot understand the things of God, the apostle Paul says, for they're spiritually understood. And so listen, they knew all of this. They had memorized all these Old Testament scriptures, and friend, it didn't mean anything more to them than if they had read Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer. It was just words. It didn't mean anything because the Holy Spirit didn't bring it alive. And so they they were absolutely confused. And so when they heard this invitation, look at verse number 40 of our text. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, when they heard Jesus' invitation, they began to speak and says, well, truly, this must be the prophet, the prophet. Well, what were they speaking of? Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. Put that in the margin in your Bibles. Moses through the inspiration of God, had prophesied that Christ would come and he would be the prophet. He, he would be the one who would speak for God, the ultimate prophet. But listen, friend, he was more than a prophet. Prophets just simply cared, came and shared God's message. Jesus wasn't just sharing God's message. He was the message. He was what it was all about. He's what every single word in the Bible, every single letter Pointed to was Jesus Christ. And friend, I'm telling you, from Genesis to the Gospels, every Old Testament passage points to Jesus Christ. The Gospels are about him. Every every passage after the Gospels, it points back to Jesus Christ. You cut the Bible open anywhere you want to, friend, and it will bleed with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about him. And so they they were confused. They, they really didn't understand about who this prophet was. And, and they, were, they were informed, but they were still confused. Look what the Bible says in verse number 41. Others said, well, this, this is the Christ. Maybe, verse 31, maybe it is, maybe it's not. This, this is him. But then some said, well, will Christ come out of Galilee? Verse 42, hath not the Scripture said that the Christ will comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where he was? Well, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 said exactly that. Christ would be born in Bethlehem. My mother was born in Franklin, but she's from Bryson City. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was from Galilee. And so they were informed, but they were still confused. They had just, listen, they knew just enough Bible to be dangerous. And that's the case with about most lost people in the South. They know just enough biblical doctrine to be dangerous. And you say, well, you know, there's, you know, there's a few cults around here, but the, really they're not grounded. Friend, I, listen, the biggest cult in the South, it's, it's none of these others that you see. It's the Good Baptist Church. That is the biggest cult that's in the South. Just enough doctrine to be dangerous and to die and go to hell. Because the majority of people in the South, they're confused about salvation. Confused about salvation. The, 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 the prevailing doctrine is, you know, four Bs. Believe, baptize, belong, and be good. If you do those things, surely you're going to heaven. Believe that Jesus is God's Son. Well, the book of James says every demon in hell believes that. But they're not. Safe. we'll be baptized. You know, that, that's the capstone on getting you saved, Friend, all baptism does spiritually, you know, physically, it gets you wet, but spiritually it doesn't do anything except be an act of obedience. Baptism is not the capstone on your salvation. It's the first act of a believer after salvation. So many people believe, you know what, That you ask... you. You're here this morning. If you've tried to witness to somebody, you say, well, have you been saved? When I got baptized when I was seven years old, you ever had that experience before? And they'll begin to tell you, no. And then then the big one where I'm from is, now, I I got baptized in running water. Like somehow that makes it a greater experience if the creek was running over you while you were baptized. And then people believe, you know, well, you know, if I just belong to the church, I'm a member of such and such church. Friend, you can be a member of a church, still die and go to hell. Well, you know, God is the one who knows whether someone is saved or not. And you need to belong to a local church and you need to serve. But belonging to a church doesn't make you right with God. And then be good. Just be good. Friend, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's not enough good you can ever do to pay for your sins. But the majority of the people in the South, they believe those four things are enough. They're, They're confused about salvation absolutely totally confused i'm so glad friend we don't have to wonder what it takes to be saved god's word listen to me god's word gives assurance romans 3:23 the bible says for all have sinned that's everybody and the Bible says in Romans six twenty three that there's a penalty for our sin. It's, it's a separation from God in a place called hell. It's death. The, the, the wages of sin, the paycheck you cash for all eternity, is separation from God in a place called hell. Eternal death. That's what the Bible says. And all people will experience that apart from forgiveness in God's son. But I'm so glad that Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, but that God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's hope. Christ died in our place. Two things have to happen. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, not Greenwood Baptist, not the deacons, not by a majority vote when we had a quorum. Jesus said, Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. That's from the mouth of Christ. There must be a turning from sin to Christ. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 say you believe in your heart, that is, you trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, and then you confess Him with your mouth. And the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 10, whoever calls, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's not about doing, it's about receiving. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But this is is a great transition But, what's it say? The gift of God. God's great gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as He offered all of those spiritually dehydrated people a a, a drink of water spiritually that would satisfy the longing of their soul friend, only He could give that. And He offers all lost people today salvation that can only be found in Him. That's what God says. Not only is there confusion about salvation, but there's confusion about Christian living. You know, I'm thankful that the founders of our country saw that there needed to be a separation between church and state. That is, that the state could never be involved in the church's business. But they had every intention that the church would be involved in the state's business. Now, there's some parts of the country where I grew up, they talk about that in church all the time. Now, you need to follow me on this. They'll say, in our church, we believe in the separation of church and state. And what they mean by that is this. We don't want any preacher preaching anything that's against our politics. That's what they believe. Because they want to hear what the Word of God has to say about their politics. And friend, that's not what separation of church and say. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Your word is to be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And friend, that doesn't stop when you go into the voting booth. Now you say, Amen. Because it's the truth. God's Word is to be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. At all times, there's no part of my life as a disciple that can be off-limits to God if He's really Lord of my life. But a lot of people believe that. But greater than that, friend, people believe in the separation of church and life. So I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to serve Jesus, but now I'm still going to live my life the way I want to. They're confused about what real Christian living is all about. They think, you know, again, that if if they believe they've been baptized, they belong, and they be good, that somehow that's going to outweigh all the bad one day, and they're going to spend eternity in heaven, and so they can be at church, play at church, but can live their life separated from that. And friend, as a disciple of Christ, you cannot. Jesus is either Lord of everything, or he's Lord of nothing. Luke chapter 9, in verse number 23, Jesus gives an authoritative statement. He said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and daily follow me. Daily! That means Monday and Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when you're not at church. And most of that crowd do not come back on Wednesday anyway, so it means Wednesday too! It's all days. Christ is to be Lord. He says that's what the life of a disciple looks like. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is, His righteous rule over every part of my life. Then all these things shall be added unto you. That is, my number one thought 24 hours a day, day in and day out, is Jesus be Lord of me. Be Lord of my family. Be Lord of my church. That's to be the thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. This is a verse you don't hear quoted much anymore. Wherefore, come ye out from among them, the apostle Paul says, and be separated. Wherefore, come ye out from among them and be separate. And, and the, he echoes Isaiah 52, 11, and touch not the unclean thing. What's he talking about? Holiness. But the prevailing thought today is amongst the good Baptists is, I'll be good at church, but I'll live the way I want to. And really, it's not that bad. It's sin by degrees. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. The Bible says we are to come out from among a lost and dying world. We have to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Friend, I want to remind you, the church did the most for the world when it was the least like the world. And there's such a push today in churches now. Preacher, if we're going to reach them, we've got to be like them. What you win them with is what you win them to. It's what you win them to. And so it, there's confusion about Christian living. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and in verse number 15, there, there's, there's, a, there's confusion about Christian, Really, what, what my life is to be dedicated to as it comes to study. Apostle Paul says, be diligent to present yourself a proof to God. It's our one verse a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God demands that every disciple be a student of his word. Not just the preacher, not just Sunday school teachers, but every believer must be a student of the word. You hear me this morning. Your Christian life will never rise above the time you spend with God each day. It will never do it. And God demands that each person study His Word, friend. You can't follow Christ if you don't know His Word. Proverbs three, five, and six: Trust the Lord with all your heart; lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. He does that, friend. So often as we study His Word and we're obedient to it, we're obedient to it. First John chapter two, verses ten through eleven: Well, people want uh, to be forgiven. But they don't want to forgive. I mean, the prevailing thought days, you know, I just... may I hate them, and I'm always going to hate them. I don't get mad. I just get even. And Jesus may forgive him, but I never will. Listen to what John says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about disciples. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Friend, listen, the Bible says in Philippians 4 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes it's hard to forgive. But if you're going to be right with Jesus, you've got to be right with others. And if you're not right with others, you can't be right with Jesus. And they may not want to make amends with you, but you can forgive them and you can let it go. You can let it go. And you have to do that. 1 John chapter 2 and in verse number 6. 1 John 2 and verse 6 says uh, he who abides in him ought, all, ought to also himself walk as he walked. I've heard people say, well, now that's Jesus. You know, that's Jesus. We're talking about confusion about Christian living. Well, that's Jesus. I had a guy tell me one time, was, so now you're a preacher, there's a different standard. Friend, there's one standard, it's Jesus Christ. It's Christ. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. Confusion. People think just be a member of the church and do whatever you want to do and somehow because you believe you've been baptized, you belong, and you be good, everything's going to be okay. Friend, you will die and go to hell unless you've been born again, John 3, 7. You must be born again. That's not what the church thinks. That's what the Bible says. So much confusion, and they needed to turn to His Word. The forgotten words of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 20. Teaching them to what? Observe. All things whatsoever I have commanded. We love to talk about teaching them all things. But the two forgotten words of the Great Commission are not just for them, it's for me. To observe. To be a doer of God's Word. To be a doer of God's Word. Confusion about Christian living. Look at verse 43 of our text. It says, so there was a division among the people because of him. And can I tell you 2,000 years later, not one single thing has changed in the church. Not one single thing has changed. There's still a division because of Jesus. but Friend, the division doesn't come because of him. His word is sure. His word is certain. It is life. And only it, friend, can lead to liberty. Only it. And so the solution, friend, for confusion is always to go to the source. Go to the source, but we don't see anybody did that. What was the source? Verse 37, Jesus was standing there. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, as the Scripture has said. Go to the source. Well, my cousin said, who cares about your cousin? Well, I read a book. Who cares about the book unless it's this book? Go to the source. The source for all Christian living is God's Word confusion blinds you to the religion that you have. The solution is always to go to the source. Secondly, religion also brings not only confusion, but it brings hardness. Religion hardens your heart toward God. Can I just tell you, friend, after 20 years of ministry, the hardest people to preach to are those who have the hardest hearts because they just sit there and just stare at you. They've hardened their heart toward the invitation. They've hardened their heart toward God. They've got to bless me if you can. Look on their face. They don't care. They're not going to move because they died to the call of the Holy Spirit, sadly, years ago. Oh, how sad the day's in store when voice and vision come no more. Many had hardened their hearts. Well, look what the Bible says in verse number 45. I must hurry. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to him, why have you not brought him? So they, they wanted Christ brought. And the officers who'd been sent to grab Jesus, but they didn't do it because it wasn't God's time to do it, uh, said, no man ever spoke like this man. They said, something's different about him. We stood there. Now, the Pharisees, they didn't care what he said. They had already hardened their hearts. Nobody was going to rob their kingdom away from them. I want not you listen to me, friend? That's, you hear me this morning, perk up and Listen. That's the decision every single person comes to in salvation. You're you're either going to receive his kingdom rule over your life or you're going to hold on to your kingdom. And the only way you can receive his kingdom is to surrender your kingdom to him. You you can't hold on to your kingdom. Your kingdom is whatever you've said your life's going to be. You can't hold on to your kingdom and be a part of his. And so if you want to be a part of his, you've got to surrender control. Well, the Pharisees knew they weren't giving up their kingdom. So therefore, they had to get him out of the way. And so they wanted Jesus to come. And the officers went and they started to grab him, but they couldn't grab him. And they came back and said, no man ever spoke like this man. Something's different. Well, friend, that's a big statement in Jewish history to say no man ever spoke like this man. I mean, Moses had stood and spoke to Pharaoh. He had had told the people God's God's plan. He shared with them about the Passover. He led them out of Egypt. He stood at the Red Sea as it was parted and screamed, Go this way, God's going to deliver us. He gave them the law. Think about Elijah. He's standing on Mount Carmel. How long halt you between two opinions? You know, if Baal be God, serve him. But if God's God, serve God and call down the fire. Think about John the Baptist, who's still around at this time, preaching, pointing people to Christ. But behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There are a lot of great men. But the Bible says no man ever spake like this man. Listen, because Jesus was no man. He was the God man. He was the God man. These men were under conviction. I've shared with this parents before. Parents come and say, my child's starting to, to ask questions about Jesus, and they're asking how Jesus can really be God and how God can be Jesus. And I say, listen, keep talking with them. They're sharing with you the only way they know how to tell you that God's speaking to their heart. You just keep talking to them. Well, these guys were telling those pharisaical leaders the only way they knew how to tell them, man, we're under conviction. Nobody ever spoke like this man. Nobody ever spoke like them. And so, was there encouragement? No, listen to verse number 47. What the hardness of the Pharisees answered Are you also deceived? They looked at these boys who were under conviction. And this is literally in the, in the original language for us what it says Are you that stupid? Are you really that dumb that you think this is, this is the Messiah? How could they not see that? How couldn't they sense that? How could two, two different groups, how could these men, the officers, hear that and they said nobody ever spoke like this, but the Pharisees hear the same invitation, come to me. And, they, and they, just, they heard nothing because they had hardened their hearts. They had hardened their hearts against the will and the invitation of God. You hear me this morning. That's what religion does. And you can be a part of the good Baptist church. Believe baptize, belong, be good, and my friend, you can hear invitation after invitation, and it is just words. It's just words. You feel nothing. Your heart is as cold as a tomb because you've hardened it toward God. And that's when it happened. They, they didn't feel anything. Verse number 48, they, they, they began to, to try to rationalize their thoughts. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in Him? As if they were if, if they were the, the deciding mark as to whether it was right or wrong or not. What again, friend, what makes it right or wrong is not what men say. What makes it right or wrong is what God says. And God declares in his word the gospel, and therefore it's of God and it's right and it's it. It's it. But religion's always focused on people and groups. And when you begin to go that direction, friend, you begin to follow that and you push away the call of God on your life to be saved. And I want you to hear me. Also, as a child of God, you can so rebel against God, friend, that you begin to, talk. you'll never lose your salvation. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank God for that. But my friend, you can so stiffen your neck in rebellion against God, Psalm 66, verse 18, that God no longer hears you and you don't hear God because you've got so much sin in your life. If I regard iniquity, the Bible says, God says, I will not hear you. You so damage your relationship with God. Harden your heart. Religion hardens your heart toward the Word of God. It's what it does. It's all about the group and what people think, not about what God's Word says. It hardens your heart. And this is what it comes down to. Listen to me this morning. Tradition over truth. Tradition over truth. Last dying words of a dying church. We never did it that way before. It's all about tradition. Well, friend, one of the marks of revival... It's flexibility. We're being led by the Holy Spirit at all times. Wherever He leads, that's where I'll go. That's where I'll go. And it'll never contradict His Word because He cannot do it. He can't do it. Tradition above truth. And, and so it brings you to a place that everyone is lost in their sin, but you're proud. That's what your heart so hardens to. It has to be that way. Because if you're going to be right, everybody else has to be wrong. Look at, look at verse number 49. It says, but, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Is, is they said, I mean, have, have any of us believed on him, verse number 48? No, we haven't. And he says, and therefore, all this other crowd that does not know the law like we do, they're all accursed. We says, they're all going to hell. We're the ones going to heaven, they're going to hell. That's what religion does. It has to support itself. It never points to Christ. It's never grounded in His Word. Friend, You better be careful. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved, and you know you never have. But you're so scared people are going to find out. You're so scared of what's going to have to happen. You better hear God's Word this morning. The book of Hebrews chapter 3 And verse number 15, Hebrews 3 and and verse 15 says, you know, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 1, a verse that I'll shake you to your core. He who is often rebuked and hardened his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. The Bible says it's entirely possible to harden your heart, friend, toward the call of the Holy Spirit to where, friend, there'll come a time God won't call anymore. Genesis six says, "My spirit not always strive with man." Jesus was calling, verses thirty-seven through thirty-eight. There was conviction, but they put off God. That's why the Bible says, "My friend, Isaiah fifty-five, verses six through seven: Seek him while he may be found; call upon him while he is near. Don't put off what God is calling you to do today." Third night closed this morning. Notice that religion also brings not only confusion, not only hardness, but it brings fear. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. Then Nicodemus, remember him from John 3, 7? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Jesus looked at him and said, you must be born again. He came at night. He went away. We, we never saw that he really turned and trusted Christ, but he's, Jesus has got his attention. Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Now, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? And they answered and they said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Well, can I just pause right there? Well, they didn't know their Bibles real well. I mean, what about Jonah? Uh, well, he was from Gath Hefer. What about Nahum? He was he an was Elkishite, both in Galilee. Now, I'll tell you, that's religion too. It, keep, it gives you an unteachable spirit where you can't learn anymore. But here they were trying to shame Nicodemus. Here's, what, here's the point. Listen, what would have happened if Nicodemus would have just stopped and said, Hold everything! I don't care what the officers say, and I don't care what you Pharisees say. I went and I talked to him one night, and he said that God so loved me and he sent him to die for me that if I would turn and believe in him, he would give me everlasting life. And just as, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, he's going to be lifted up. And whoever will look at him will live. And I don't care what anybody else says. I've looked at him. I've got that life. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. And everybody else can do whatever they want to, but I'm going to follow him. What would have happened? But you know what Nicodemus gave in to? He gave in to fear. That's what religion always does. It sustains itself through fear. Religion always brings a fear of man. Fear of not being accepted by the other group members. You know, if I step away, the the group's going to be mad at me. I'm going to lose all my friends. Everybody's going to be against me. Can I I help you this morning be liberated from that? Adopt the spirit of I do not care. I don't care. As long as Jesus is happy, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter. But that's what religion does. You so care about the rest of the group because everybody's got to be happy, right? No! It's not about making everybody happy in the church. It's about leading people into a relationship with Christ where they are so surrendered that they're not happy. They're holy. And when they're holy, friend, they'll have joy unspeakable happiness is based on happenings some days i'm happy some days i'm not but i'll tell you something friend that dick cannot touch and that's the joy i have in jesus christ the joy i have but nicodemus he didn't stand up he didn't have that kind of relationship boy what isn't it something though that even though peter turned his back at the finger pointing of a little girl jesus gave him a second chance remember the the message to the women at the tomb go tell the disciples i live and Peter. Peter needed to hear that. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 20, these same Pharisees say, listen, do whatever you want, but stop talking about Jesus. In verse 20, Peter says, but we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. We don't care whether you like us or not. We're not going to be afraid of you. We're going to serve Jesus Christ. and We're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about him. Well, they didn't take that. They they weren't going to receive that. Acts chapter 5, after they continued to give him more hardship, Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And they agreed with him, all those who were around, all the apostles. And when they had called the apostles and had beaten them, they agreed with Gamaliel and commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So all the disciples departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. They didn't care. Religion brings fear. Listen, a true growing relationship with Christ liberates you from fear. It liberates you because you're only concerned with making Jesus happy because he is the love of your life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I just wonder what would happen on any given Sunday. You know, if someone just says, you know, I'm not going to worry what anybody else thinks. I'm going to step out for Christ today, and I'm going to be saved. I know I need to be saved. I'm going to be saved. What well, we about the person that's been saved, but they've never followed the Lord in believers' baptism? Remember, baptism can't come before salvation. It always comes after. Well, what would happen if somebody just stepped out and says, I'm going to get baptism on the right side of my salvation? Well, what would happen if somebody spoke up at work? and says, you know what, I'm not going along with all this anymore. I'm going to live for Christ on the job. I want everybody to know. What about in your family, in your neighborhood, amongst all your friends, whatever groups you've got on social media? You know, you just quit hitting like mean, Listen, by absence of your presence, you didn't, you didn't hit a like for ungodly things anymore. You stand up for Christ. What would happen if people stopped giving in to fear? Religion always brings fear of man and fear of loss, fear of man, fear of loss, Matthew six thirty three. but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. My friend, you never give anything up for Jesus that he doesn't restore with something even better. Even better. Confusion, hardened hearts, and fear. I close with this this morning. Look at your text in John chapter 7. So that's where everybody stood. Verse 53 says, And everyone went to his own house. Service was over. The singing had stopped. Christ had given the invitation. But they had allowed their hearts through religion to become confused, hardened, and everybody listened was absolutely scared to death to make a move toward Jesus because they were afraid of what someone else was going to think notice the saddest part of all in verse 1 of chapter 8. Jesus left too. Jesus left too. Friend, if you're here this morning you've never been saved, don't leave this place the way that you came this morning. I'm telling you, your religion is going to take you to hell. If you're here and you've been saved and you know you're not right with God, don't leave here the way you came. Respond to the call of the Holy Spirit today. Whatever it is that God is trying, whatever His invitation to you is today, as He says, come, don't leave the way you came. Experience the touch that only He can give. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Have you really been saved? God knows the truth. My friend, I promise you, if you've not, and the Spirit of God is convicting you of your lostness, your need to be saved, there's time. There's time. He's calling you. He's drawing you. The Bible says, Behold, now is accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. If you know that you need to be saved, turn, surrender your life, and trust Him today. Believe He died for you. Believe He rose again. Surrender your life to His Lordship now. He'll take you. He'll make something out of you. But you have to respond. Tell Him so right now in a simple prayer of faith where you sit just like this. God, forgive me of my sin. I turn from it. I believe Jesus died. I believe He rose again. And I trust Jesus today to be Lord of my life. I surrender my kingdom that I might be a servant in His. These are the keys to my life, Jesus. Every room in the house, You be Lord. I surrender my life to You. Now save me. Our heads are bowed, their eyes are closed. Did you pray that today, did you?